Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament, uh, the book of Romans, chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. It's about four-fifths of the way back if you're getting used to your Bible. And if you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to turn to it, it's on page 788 of the Black Bibles there in the seat racks. Hopefully there's one near you. Page 788. Romans 10 is what we're going to look at this morning in just a little bit. But while you're turning there, if you haven't been with us, we've been in this series called Family Values, where we're talking about uh, what our church family values. And uh, again, you can see that on the banners. And so uh, once you've gotten that place in Romans 10, let me just ask you to mark it. And then if you could, just turn your notes to the back side. You'll see the nine family values that we've been talking about these first couple months of 2015. And today we're down on number eight. Number eight. You can see that. Now, why are we studying these values? What we said at the beginning is this. Is there something about naming your values as a family, as a church family? And once you name them, once you say them out loud, then it's much easier to be intentional about moving towards them. If you're not conscious of them, then the likelihood of you practicing them goes down. But by naming our values, you know, we hope to live them more intentionally. Like any family, whatever gets celebrated gets repeated. And it's something that we want to see repeated many times in our, in our church family. Now, uh, I wanted, before we read our value, I just want to say that if you're a guest here today, or if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, you're not sure if you even believe in him, we want to say that I'm actually going to talk about you today. But I don't want to talk about you in a way that's impersonal or like your project. We want you to know that we're glad you're here, and we're going to just take time as a church family to talk about what's going to be important to us. So I don't want you to feel awkward. I hope you feel welcome, and we're just so glad you're here. But let's read this eighth value out loud together. We value those still on the way with Jesus. Because we're called to be his witnesses in this world, we want to lovingly show and tell the good news of Jesus. So if you turn your notes back over, what I I hope you'll see today is that as his followers, if you're following along, we're sent to show and tell others of Jesus. We're sent to show and tell others. Remember show and tell? I remember my my wife is a preschool teacher, so they still have show and tell. So she'll come home some days and tell me how different kids practice it. And here's the thing about show and tell. Most of the time, if you're showing and telling something, you're excited about it. At least these kids are. They can't wait. Let me show and tell you. And they really, it's coming from a place of joy and excitement. And so I want to talk to you about that subject this morning. But before I do that, I want to tell you that we all need this message as a church family because we can all get away from that joy and excitement of showing and telling other people about Jesus. We all can. I know I really need this message today. So I want to read to you a parable that I've read several times in the last 20 years, written by Richard Wheatcraft. But I want to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. And what I hope we'll be able to see is the vision that Jesus has for us as a church family the things that can hinder us from living that vision, and then how we might live it out more intentionally. So let me read this parable as we begin. 
On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly, searching for anyone out on the sea who might be in trouble. Many lives were saved by their devoted efforts. After a while, the little station became famous. Some of those who were saved, as well as others in the surrounding area, wanted to become part of the work. They gave time and money and effort for its support. New boats were purchased, additional crews were trained, and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members became unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a larger, more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged place. Soon the life-saving station became a favorite gathering place for its members to discuss the work and to visit with each other. They continued to remodel and redecorate until the life-saving station more and more took on the look and the character of a club. Fewer and fewer members were now interested in going out on life-saving missions, so they hired professional crews to go out on their behalf. The life-saving motif was still prevailing on the club's emblems and stationery. There was even a lifeboat hung on the wall of the room where the club held its initiations. One day, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in many boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, bruised, and sick, and some had different colored skin. The beautiful new club was terribly messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside where shipwreck victims could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether, which they saw as unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some of the members, however, insisted on keeping life-saving as a primary purpose and pointed out, after all, they were still called a life-saving station. But those members were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own little station down the coast somewhere, and they did. As the years went by, the new station gradually faced the same problems the other had experienced. It too became a club, and its life-saving work became less and less a priority. The few members who remained dedicated to life-saving began another station, History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but many of the people drown. The first time I heard this story, and every time I've read it since, one of the things that strikes me about it is this second line in the notes, if you're following along is that although Jesus has called us to be followers who show and tell others of Jesus, yet our concern for people outside the church can die. 
Yet our concern for people outside the family of God, outside our church family, can die. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like a grandfather clock. I feel like I'm always coming back to this. I feel like I can get away from it so easily. I feel like my concern for people that don't yet know the Lord can just die down, can just fade. It's one of the biggest challenges of my life is to to make sure that I don't lose that concern. And maybe you find that to be the same. But at Cherry Hills, we don't want that concern to die. We don't want to just be a club for ourselves, do we? We want to be a church family that values people both inside and outside our church family. This is what we understand Jesus has called us to be. This is what we understand that he values and he calls us to join him by valuing the same. And so some of you know that the pastors have been going through some coaching in 2015. And one of the things that we've uh, considered is this triangle that I've put here on the whiteboard on the left here. And if you're listening to this message online or by CD, you just need to know that I have this triangle where up is in the upper corner, in is in the right-hand corner, and out is in the left-hand corner. Now, what Mike Breen has taught a number of people, and I find it very helpful, is that Jesus had a three-dimensional life. Jesus was a person who very, very much sought to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father up. That was a very important relationship. Out of it, everything flowed. But not only that, he also sought to have a relationship with those inside, with his chosen followers. And he really invested in them. He gave himself to them. And yet also, he was the Lord who cares about those outside in the hurting world. And you see his ministry like this all the time. Now, what's tempting for us, if we're not careful, is to live a two-dimensional life. Whereas we follow Jesus, we say, hey, I'm interested in getting to know the Heavenly Father better. I want to have an up relationship, and I definitely want to get to know other Christians better. We have a lot more in common now where we can at least share Jesus But something begins to happen just like happened at that life-saving station where if we're not careful, we can just get caught up with ourselves and with our relationship with God and stop caring for people outwardly, outside. And I don't know why this is. Why is it that so many times we struggle with this? And I guess the best thing I could say is, is if you were the enemy and you were trying to sabotage what God was up to in the world, how would you do it? I personally have come to believe that the enemy wants to sabotage the church right here. If it can cause us to no longer be concerned about those outside the family of God, then it strikes a huge blow. See, what happens is, is once a person comes to know the Lord and begins to have that relationship with God the Father reestablished. They're born again. They have a new spirit, a new heart. They're a new creation. Now they begin to have an interest in other believers, and now they begin to have this love for people far from God, this love for people that are still on the way. 
So if he can sabotage a church reaching out to more people so that can happen, then it just begins to cut off the power of what God wants to do in the world. So what I want to talk to you today is I want, I want to talk to you about the vision that God has for us this way. Then I want to talk about the things that can hinder it. And then I want to talk to you about how we can live this more intentionally. So first of all, I want to talk to you about this idea of those still on the way. What does that mean? Those still on the way. If you look up here on the screen, you'll see that Mark chapter 12, Jesus was in a conversation once with one of the religious leaders. And the religious leader asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? Jesus answered, and look at what the teacher of the law said. One of the teachers of the law said to Jesus, teacher, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices that we might bring to God. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, look at what Jesus said to him. You are not far from the kingdom of God. What he's saying is you're on this journey and you're not far from crossing the line. You're very close. Now, the first time I ever heard the phrase, those still on the way, happened back in the 1970s when Paul Little, at that time, he eventually died in a car accident, but Paul Little used to share this phrase. He had learned it from a man in England um, named Leith, and and he said this, this particular quote. He said, when I talk with people about Jesus Christ, here's sometimes the question I ask them. Have you ever personally trusted Jesus Christ, or are you still on the way? And that gives a person some idea of where they might be. Just ask them that. And he said, many people, sometimes it's amazing how honest people were. They'd say, I'm still on the way. And then he'd ask this second question sometimes, if he felt like there was permission. How far along the way are you? And it just gave people. And so I don't know if you've ever seen the Engel scale. But uh, Engel was a professor up at Wheaton College. And years ago, he said, look... There's a process where God's working in people's lives. Even in this room today, there's people all over this spiritual map. I try and always be mindful of that whenever we gather. And he says, you know, some people are hardcore hardened against God. They have no interest at all in the Lord or getting to know him. And so maybe there's, I try and be mindful that no matter how someone may appear on the outside, maybe that's where you are. And so you may still be on the way, but you may still be way, way away, far away. But then Jesus was trying to say to this guy right here, look, you're not far. And what God's trying to do is bring every person to a place where they understand that what Jesus Christ did on the cross on our behalf can bring us back to God and open up a whole new life with him. And then he wants to help us get on the way. Now, many of us in this room are on the way, not because we're anything amazing, but because of God's amazing grace. And he's given us the privilege. He's rescued us. He's saved us from ourselves. And therefore, the question becomes, once we're on the way, do we still care about people that are still on the way? That's what I want to talk to you about. And so Romans 10, which you've been waiting for us to look at, I want to look at verses 9 through uh, 13. I'll read, and then I'm going to ask you to read verse 14 and 15 that are listed there in the gray boxes in the notes. So here we go. It says, If you declare with your mouth, 
Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Do we all remember what a Gentile is? Anyone who's not Jewish, right? And so that includes us. Many of us are not Jewish here, but it includes Gentile. It says there's no difference between us. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, there's that word again, saved. Now, would you read verse 14 with me? But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Would you drop down and read verse 15 with me? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I just want to unpack this with you. This last phrase here, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. One of the things that God wants us to understand in the vision of all this is that the only way someone who's still on the way is going to ever believe in the Lord is if someone moves towards them. If someone walks towards them and begins to enter into a relationship, a trust-filled, respectful relationship with someone. And many times we say, doesn't God do it all? No. Could God do it all? Yes. What does God choose to do? He chooses to use one person helping another person know how to know him that's also experienced his grace already. And so beautiful feet are what he wants to create because you see, Jesus' feet were beautiful and they came towards us with good news and now he wants us to be a pass it on people. So look at this plan if you're unpacking it. First, good news. The Lord wants to richly bless all who call on him. So here's the good news. This is the best news, that the Lord actually wants to bless all who will call on him as Lord. He is ready to bless people. He is holding out this offer, this invitation, this gift. And the reason why the good news is such good news, friends, is because the bad news really is bad. The Bible says, is every one of us were created to have a relationship with God, a meaningful, dynamic relationship with God. We were created in his image. But the Bible also says that every one of us, every one of us, have gone astray. We have chosen to go our own way. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God because we have all sinned. That's what the Bible says. We're all in the same boat. And lest any of us doubt how serious that is, the Bible says is the wages, the penalty of our sin, the consequences of our sin is death, separation from God. But then it says that God was not content to leave us separated from him. He wanted a relationship with us. He loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because Christ died for us, even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, all who receive this gift, this good news, 
can enter into a life-changing relationship with God. And he is more than ready. His heart is eager and willing to respond to any person who's humble enough to receive that gift, who knows they need him, and who wants him. Wow. I just need to stop and tell you something. Sometimes I get fuzzy on this. And I, do, I think, well, you know, really all we really need is just a nice material life, right? But most everybody in this room is learning, as I have, and, is, and I'm still learning, is that there is so much more to us that even if we had everything going our way, our souls would have a hole in it. And friends, just this last week, I watched uh, a video with Billy Graham called FindingMyHope.org, and I'm telling you, it, it struck me. And one of the gals that was sharing on there told about how she got to a place where she was so angry at God, so hateful towards other people, and also so sick of life that she was preparing to commit suicide. Her grandmother got kind of cantankerous and told her she was going to church. She didn't want to go to church, but she went and thought, I'll carry out my plan after church. At church, during the service, a pastor in the middle of service says, I sense that there is a suicidal spirit in the room. And someone here needs to know that God cares about you and that he wants you to have a new life hope in him, and he wants to restore that relationship. And even though you haven't had a good earthly father, there is a good heavenly father that wants you to know what it's like to walk with him and be in a relationship with. And she was like, I can't even believe this. Wow. And what that reminded me is this. In this room, there may be people on any given Sunday who you don't yet know the good news of God, but he's holding it out to you, and there is a better life that you can know through Jesus Christ. And we want to be a kind of church family that never, ever forgets that we have been privileged to receive this gift ourselves, and now we want to be a pass it on people. Second thing is, is that but people can't call on the Lord if they don't hear of him. But people can't call on the Lord if they don't hear of him. Paul's working this through in his mind when he writes Romans 10. He goes, but you know, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Many, you know, many studies have shown that the average person has to hear this message about Jesus Christ at least six or seven times before it finally registers. And so people need to be able to hear that there is hope, as we've been singing about, in Jesus Christ. And so, if you're following along, the Lord sends us to show and tell his good news. So the Lord sends us to show and tell his good news. And again, at Cherry Hills, we've just been saying this for the last 10, 12, 13 years, is that he wants us to show and tell the good news. Where do we get this? Matthew 4.23 says that when Jesus came, he didn't just preach the good news, he showed the good news by healing people, by caring for their needs, by being concerned about them in every dimension of their life. And therefore, in Matthew 5.16, he says, look, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men. Show people, let your light shine the change that I'm working in your life that they may see what I'm doing and then glorify our Father in heaven. And in Matthew 10, 7 and 8, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he told them to do the same thing. Look, don't just tell people, show people. 
Heal them. Be concerned about them. Be concerned about what's happening in their life. So we've talked about show and tell for a long time. And he wants us to be people like that. Years ago, I was at centrifuge camp with our youth. I was a chaperone. And I'll never forget one night, a guy got up to share. And he was uh, in his 30s. And, and he said that his whole family did not believe in the Lord. In fact, they were hardcore disinterested but along the way, he came to meet and know Jesus Christ and trusted his life to Jesus Christ, and it changed his life completely. So now he was caught in this situation where, how do I share Jesus with my family? I don't think they're going to be too jazzed. So for the next three months, he just looked for ways every day to show Jesus to his family, to be interested in them, to listen to them, to serve them, to help them, to assist them in any way he could to show genuine concern for his family. About three months in, his brother found out what had happened. His younger brother found out what had happened to his older brother. And he came to him and he says, someone told me you're a Christian. And I've been noticing something about you, but how come you didn't tell me about Jesus? Because I'm open. And this older brother said, I wanted to show you before I told you so that when I told you, you would know he's real. And friends, when you and I make our minds up to show and be ready to tell, but make sure that we really want people to meet Jesus as we've met Jesus, wow, what a difference it makes. But, you know, it's one thing to see that vision and to say, oh, my goodness, beautiful feet. You know, four and a half years ago, it's hard to believe. If you want to go to the archives, you can listen to these messages. We did four messages called Just Walk Across the Room. And we talked about what it would be like if you and I took more walks across rooms, if we moved towards people and, and looked for ways to care about them and connect with them, not as a project, but out of a love that Christ has given us for people. And so we talked about that, and I realized again that God wants us to have that kind of beautiful feet, because friends, how will they ever know? How will they ever believe unless you and I begin to walk this way with Jesus and caring about those still on the way? But what keeps us from doing it? Remember I talked to you about the fact that if you were the evil one, what would you try and do? You'd try and sabotage things at this point. Well, how did the evil one sabotage things in the Garden of Eden? Through lies. How did the evil one come at Jesus Christ when he was walking this earth through lies. He tried to lie to us. And friends, lies are powerful. When you and I believe lies, they can wreck our lives because God wants us to know the truth. So what are some of these lies that can actually kill our concern like that life-saving station had their concern killed? Well, here's the first lie. It's believing that some people don't matter to God. It's believing that some people don't matter to God Jesus' time on earth was often riddled with criticism. And some of the most religious, moral people of the day got so frustrated with Jesus because he would walk towards and spend time with people that they thought were no accounts. They thought these people are losers of the highest degree. These people are rebellious against God. They don't give a rip about other people. Therefore, they don't matter anymore. 
And Jesus one day got so frustrated, you read about this in Luke 15, that when he heard them criticize him for hanging out with those people, he told three parables back to back to back about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son as a way of saying, you don't get it. People matter to God. And when people are lost, God cares about that. Therefore, when they're found, it says in Luke 15, 7, all of heaven goes crazy in rejoicing when one person turns back to God. And you don't get that. You've come to believe a lie that some people don't matter to God. How does this happen? It's happened to me many times. I think sometimes we just get so jaded. We get so tired of trying to reach and connect with someone and we see it make no difference in their life and it just, they just, you know, they're, they're actually turned off by us or they actually persecute us or whatever. And so we may just go, I don't know, God, if that person matters to you because I, I definitely know I'm not sure they matter to me. But sometimes it happens through racism where we look at people that may be a different skin color or a different country from us and we may begin to believe they don't matter to God as much as I matter to God. Nationalism is a problem in the United States where we believe that God cares about the United States but he doesn't care about other nations as much. But that's not true. There is no person that you and I have ever met or ever will meet that does not matter to God. And we can get jaded, and we can begin to be influenced by this lie, and we may start to believe that some people don't matter to God. The second lie is believing no one will perish, so no big deal. Believing no one will perish, so no big deal. This idea that there really is not a heaven or a hell, that when the Bible says that people will perish, that will die in their sins, that that's actually, that's, out, that's outmoded, that's outdated. That's just like, you know, that's not really true. And now, last June, I did a message on the reality of hell. It's a difficult subject to talk about. I think that's one reason why we avoid it. But if you and I actually embrace this idea of a universalism where everything's just going to all turn out in the end, then the stakes are no longer heaven or hell. The stakes are not sky high, and therefore, no big deal. But if, in fact, every person that does matter to God and every person that's walking this planet is an eternal soul... And that parable I talked about that Jesus told that there will come a day at the end of the age when there will be a separation process. Those who have trusted in their own righteousness will be separated from God and those who have trusted in God's gift of righteousness in Jesus will be with him forever. He'll let those that want their own way go their own way for eternity. Friends, that is unbelievable, and that's probably why sometimes, because it's so painful to think about this sometimes, that we may begin to believe this lie. Well, maybe that's not true. Friends, you have never locked eyes with someone who is not an eternal soul. They'll live one place or another for all eternity. The third lie that we can believe is that believing other Christians are sent, but not me. That other Christians are sent, but not me. This is the idea that, you know, some people are just more gifted at it than me. 
sometimes is what we struggle with. And let me be clear, when Steve talked last week about spiritual gifts, there are some people that have been given a unique spiritual gift of evangelism. There are people, we've often joked about it, that sometimes they get on an airplane and by the time the flight's over, someone's trusted Christ. Now that's an extreme situation, but sometimes God's just given. I've had several friends that that just people respond to them when they share their faith. And all you can say is the Holy Spirit's given them an unusual gift. But that doesn't mean that all of us don't have a role with beautiful feet. That you may be here today and you may say, there's no way God could use me. Oh, yes, he could. The question is, are you available? The question is, do you understand and see the vision? And are you willing to join him? This is not about us winning someone. That's a miracle of grace anytime any of us believe in God. But he wants us to join him. He's already at work. And so I wonder if you're here today and you go, I'm not, I'm not one of the ones that's called. I don't, it's not my responsibility. It's not really something that I need to think about with the rest of my life. I'll just, I'll just live in this world and just finish out my days here. Friends, don't let that lie take hold of your mind. Understand God's incredible call to you. He's called you to have beautiful feet, and there's a bunch of people that you're going to eventually meet that need you to have beautiful feet and move towards them. So how do we do this? How do we do this more intentionally? We had several people in our church family that were interviewed about this. Watch this video. It's hard when you're asked to do something where like you still feel like you're on the way you know what I mean I mean I I don't think you ever get to a point of being like super confident how can I I talk about this whenever yeah I'm still growing at it and I think prayer is the biggest thing that I can do to help value those who are still on their way because although it's hard for me to you know, say words to them that could, you know, spark something inside of them. Prayer helps me love them outside of um, what I can say or do. I, th- I think the, the thing the Lord has laid on my heart is to look for ways to be authentically involved in people's lives uh, that allows me by how I treat them and the nature of my interaction with them and the things we talk about to expose them to Christ in reality, not not a doctrine, not a um, just a written statement or creed, but being lived out in how we talk and how we relate um, so that they can be introduced to him if he chooses to draw them to himself. Being a witness or sharing your faith, it doesn't have to be something that is you know, on stage or a production. I think the, the most powerful ways to do that is just to live your life where God has put you. And so if you go about, you know, each day looking at, I have been giving this, given this day with these people in this place for a reason. And just going through life thinking, thank you, Lord, for this day and for these people and for this place and for, you know, 
every single moment that I get to interact with that person, even if that person bugs me and that person is hard to talk to or that person's hard to love, you know, like just always coming back to that mindset of God is in control and you are where you're supposed to be. I just really appreciate the candor there and just the honesty that this is one of those processes. Like I said, a lot of times I feel like I keep coming back to this. God keeps bringing us back to just being genuinely concerned. So how can we live more intentionally? Let me just mention several ideas, and maybe you've thought about these before. Maybe these will be good reminders to you. First is, will I pray a Lord, I'm available prayer each day? Will I pray a Lord, I'm available prayer each day? If you look up here on the screen at Isaiah 6, 8, this was an interesting thing. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Now, Isaiah didn't say that because he felt so competent. He just actually admitted earlier that he didn't feel like his lips were even clean enough to share the good news. But the Lord cleansed him and then said, okay, I'll use you. I'll use you if you'll depend on me. And I've found, I don't know if you've ever found this, but over the years as a follower of Christ, I've found that if I start my day or punctuate my day this way, Lord, I don't know exactly how to do this. I don't know exactly what you're already doing, but I'm willing. I'm available. Years ago, I read 2 Corinthians 5 that says the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so now as I understand, Lord, I belong to you. I'm not my own anymore. I'm available to you. Show me how to be a person with more beautiful feet than I had in the past. Show me. The second thing is, is there a person of peace that God's prepared? Is there a person of peace that God's prepared? Um, if you've uh, never seen this before, Luke 10, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he, he said this, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now, Mike Breen uh, again, brings up some more thoughts on this, and he talks about a person of peace. I mean, who is a person of peace that Jesus is referring to here? Look at what Mike Breen says about that. Yeah. He says, how do we recognize a person of peace? According to the instructions Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, the person of peace will, one, welcome you, two, listen to you, and three, serve or support you. Jesus simply said to look for people who want to listen to you, people you will encounter in your everyday walk. The person of peace is someone God has prepared to hear his message of the kingdom and the king. And so, again, if we believe that God is already at work, that this isn't up to us completely, this is just us joining him, then we need to look for any people in our everyday lives that may already be persons of peace. And as we do... Uh, we can pray that kind of prayer. Look, at here's one more thing that Mike Breen adds about that idea of, of uh, thinking about a person of peace. It says, this should be our prayer as we venture forth each day. Lord, bring into my path today a person of peace and give me the grace to speak your words to this person. 
So again, just being on the lookout, having our antenna up, just saying, God, are there any people that maybe I didn't know they were open, but as we just talk about everyday things, this opportunity presents itself or this door seems to be open where they seem to listen to me, they seem to respond, there just seems to be this relationship that you're making gel. Notice what the message paraphrase says about Luke 10, 6 as well. I like this because this takes some of the pressure off. It says, when you enter a home, greet the family, peace. If your greeting is received, then it's a good place to stay. But if it's not received, take it back and get out. Don't impose yourself. In other words, the idea that sounds a little crass, but what it's saying is, look, don't, don't go five slam a jamming this stuff into people. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing where walk into your life and just say, hey, you know, is the door open here if it's not? Now, let me just stop and say something. What happens when someone is not open? Is there anything we should do? I would say yes. I would say, Lord, that person's not open right now. They may never be open, but I want to pray for them. I want to pray that even if they're not open to me, they might be open to someone else or they might be open to you in the coming days. But Lord, I encounter that person so that I need to at least pray for them because they matter to you. That's one idea. And some of you, you have wayward family members, wayward friends, wayward coworkers, wayward classmates that God wants you to pray for, even if they're not responsive and a person of peace right now. The last one is, how can I show his love and tell them of Jesus? How can I show them his love and tell them of Jesus? I've watched people do all kinds of things. Sometimes it's just having them in your home. It's just getting to know each other. No huge agenda. Like, tonight we're going to lead them to the Lord. No, just care about them and then say, God, if you're working like that, great. If you want us to be part of that, but we want to love people that matter to you. We want to care about people, whether they're on the way or still on the way. Show us how to do that. Other people have said, you know what? I'm not very good at this, but I go to a church that really could help them meet Jesus in some way. So sometimes it's just basic. It's just saying, hey, I don't know if you'd be open to that, but if you don't have a church home already, You'd always be welcome to join me, and maybe we could go out for brunch or lunch afterwards and talk about it. But just know, that's always an open invitation. Our church family, you know, really does respect people that are still thinking about spiritual things. And maybe, again, there's lots of different ways to do it, but at some point, at some point, someone's got to say Jesus. Someone's got to say, I have come to meet Jesus, and I don't know what he means to you, but he's come to mean a lot to me. And if you'd ever want to talk more about a relationship with him, it's the greatest joy of my life. And just lay it out there. And if they go, well, that's nice for you. That's okay. But you said Jesus. And you said it in a way that was respectful. So as we think about closing, I just want to tell you this last thing. Is I've been carrying this card around for years now. It has the initials of a whole bunch of people that are really precious to me people on my path, people in my world, extended family members, co-workers, friends, people I try and have lunch with from time to time. And I've not seen many of these people trust Christ yet. And sometimes I can get discouraged about that and wonder if I'm a total failure. But it's in moments like that that I try and remember what the Lord wants most from me is to share his concern. And that if I'll share his concern... He'll show me how to pray. He'll show me how to keep my antenna up. 
He'll show me how to respect and love and be interested in people and have a different kind of spirit when I interact with people. So here's how we wanted to end this, is if you take out this card, it's the, everyone should have had one on their seat. This is something we just want to ask you to think about in these next few minutes. You know, if our church family is going to value those still on the way, you rub shoulders with people different than I rub shoulders with. This world's a big world. And maybe there's someone in your path that no one, no one has ever prayed for them. And they need someone to pray for them. Or maybe they've never, ever heard or never really met a real Christian. And so where might that be? I told you I drove through my neighborhood with different eyes this week, and I want to look more at that place. Maybe during this message, God's brought someone specifically to your mind. It might be a family member, a classmate, a coworker, a neighbor. I don't know. But anyway, this is a card. If you want to, you can take it home with you or you can put it in your Bible. But who would, whose initials would you write there if God's prompting you? Let's just take time to think about our concern for people still on the way. Now, there may be someone here who, while we've been talking about this subject, even though it may have been a little awkward, you know that the Lord's been drawing you to himself, and he's asking you to trust him to step across the line and move from still being on the way to on the way with him. I told you this last week. I watched a video of Billy Graham, 95 years old. And he just invited people to pray this prayer. And so you can pray it along in your heart if it's where you're at. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. I repent of my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer after the service, please come and talk with me or one of the people up front. We'd love to help you keep walking on the way.
But now we want to sing a song called Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? It was one of the greetings when Jesus came into Jerusalem. The people were shouting it. It means the Lord saves. So let's sing about the God who saves.